Welcome to Small Doses. You know, we we try to not do this too often because it's better to, of course, give you our brand new content every week and we do our best to do that. But ever so often, I find that there are times where we have gone over something in, in such a manner that people were really responsive to it that I say, you know what? Let's bring that back with the remix. The remix is me doing this thing at the top of the episode. So we wanted to revisit side effects of communication. Um, I recently had a scenario go down where I found myself in a disagreement with somebody and I realized that my therapy had actually really kicked in. And what the therapy had kicked in to do was to help me have an economy of words and a solidity in my ability to determine whether or not this conversation was going to move in a direction of positivity and solution or was going to dissolve into argument and denigration. And oftentimes we don't realize that until it's too late. And that's because in our communication practices, we really don't listen and we don't know what to listen for. And I think that's the second part that we don't really do. We learn how to listen and then we're listening and we're still reacting (laughs) because we don't know what to listen for. And what this episode, a lot of people said, helped them to do was to really just change the way that they communicate and center listening as a part of their communication versus speaking as solely the only role in communication. And the reality is that there's an exchange that's happening when we communicate. What my therapy has helped me to do, or let me just say this, what what my therapy is helping me to do is to be better at determining very quickly whether somebody is looking to have communication, whether they're looking to have a conversation, or are they simply just looking to tell you the decision they've made about the situation? The difference in those two is that a conversation leaves space for the other person. It gives credibility and credence to what they're going to say with the understanding that the two sides or however many sides are working towards a goal of solution and positivity. When we don't have that as the entry point, what we end up having is someone stating that this is what this is and expecting all parties to either co-sign it, (laughs) agree to it, or simply not object it. And if they don't do any of those things, then they're seen as in conflict. I cannot remember off the top of my head the name of the uh, anthropologist, but there's an anthropologist who, to paraphrase, said, not all conflict is violent. And oftentimes in communication, it feels like we're being attacked if someone is in disagreement. It feels violent if someone is in conflict. When in actuality, it's simply just someone being different. And indifference can also feel like that as well to some people. So as we go into this episode of communication, I want us to listen to the differences in how we talk about communicating with our partners and how we talk about communicating at work and how we talk about communicating with our our friends and family, and also about how we talk about communicating with ourselves in realizing that the language that we use for ourselves ends up being echoed in how we speak to others and how the shift ends up being all about how you deal with you. And I can tell you first and foremost, once I 
really actively started changing how I communicate with myself, how I respond to different situations internally, it wholeheartedly changed how I react to things externally. It built up my confidence in a way that made my reactions to external things not so acute. It also, in building up my confidence, gave me a certain level of peacefulness within myself that provides more of a space for the pause. And we talk about the pause in this episode. And the pause is that moment between receiving information and reacting to it where you decide what your mode of communication is going to be. But I want to offer this before we get into this episode. The pause is not just in your reaction. The pause is in how you are presenting the communication. And one thing that we didn't talk about in this episode is the power of restraint and the love in restraint and the thoughtfulness in really thinking about what is the goal of this conversation before I get into this conversation? Because oftentimes when you really actually get to the crux of that, you realize, do you really want a conversation or do you really just want to say what the fuck you think? In which case, you may not need to talk to them at all. (laughs) You can put that on Twitter or in the group chat. Let's get into it, y'all. It's so funky. <laughs> this week, we are talking about something that I feel like we're all talking about, but not really fixing. But it's interesting because we're talking about something that is about talking. Side effects of communication. Now, when I say communication, I mean specifically interpersonal communication. So not like the communication that goes on between a performer and their audience. You know, not the communication that goes on between a musician and the words that they're singing. Not the communication that goes on, you know, between a space. You know, when there's a space between like a preacher and his congregation or a comedian and their audience. No. I mean the communication that goes on within human-to-human interaction that is simply just on an equal level. And I don't even just mean... Actually, I take that back. I don't even just mean on an equal level because like parents and children are not necessarily on an equal level, but there's still an interpersonal exchange that is happening in a human space, right? That's not about performance, but that's about realness. And so... I felt like we are overdue on addressing this because the reality is, is that we have, I think it's fair to say, come to a crisis point uh, in communication breakdown where we simply are, and, and we talked about this on side effects of social media, where we simply have become so much more interconnected by these social media apps, but yet our ability to connect as humans is suffering greatly due largely in part to our lack of communication skills. So we're going to talk about what that really means. I feel like this is going to be a part one, part two, part three episode at some point because communication has so many different levels. And one of the things that I want to make sure we discuss today is how communication is related to our critical thinking. 
and the ways in which we are not applying critical thinking to how we communicate. So we're going to get into that. And I know that sounds like really fun for you guys. I know you were like, oh my God, bitch, she about to talk about critical thinking. Turn it up. Turn it up. That's my jam. Critical thinking is my whole shit. What? But you know what, though? It really is my whole shit. Let's get into it. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We dropping on these hoes. Today's jam dropping is talking to versus talking at. Another important distinction to make. You know, I think it's fair to say that there are some times when you got to talk to and there are some times when you got to talk at. And I would say that there's far more situations where talking to can get you to where you're going. But I think there's also a certain grace that we got to give people when they feel like they need to talk at. We'll We'll get get to that. that. Talking to. Talking to, in my opinion, is when you are meeting someone eye to eye baseline with the understanding or just with the expectation that they're listening, that they're receiving, and that they're open to a back and forth, a dialogue, if you will. Talking at is when you are speaking to someone in a fashion that basically makes them feel or gives the air that you're not interested in what they have to say back. Uh, You're not having a back and forth. You're having a back, back, back. Back, back, okay? okay? And the, the the real thing, though, is that sometimes the talking at is not necessarily the tool of the person speaking, but the insecurity of the person receiving. And so that can be something where you have to, like, check yourself about. Like, do I feel like I'm being talking at, talked at? Or is it just me, like, not liking the tone that someone is saying? But is there intention to actually try to bowl over me? And I know you're like, but how am I supposed to do all that math that quickly? I know. I know. But if we don't really try and force ourselves to, like, do these types of critical thinking about how we interact with each other, we're just ne- we're just going to start, we're just going to continue this baseline, bottom line, where we're not really trying to force ourselves to consider things. We're just like going with every impulse as it is. And these impulses are driven by perspectives that are all variant, that are all related to different histories and presents and possible futures. And we just seem to assume that everybody is coming from the same place. And they're just not. So talking to can be such a strong, effective tool. And it's something that I really work on on a regular basis. But to be honest, you know, I'm not perfect at it. And the reality is, is that sometimes when you really know what the fuck you're saying and somebody's really not listening, you're just like, yo, I'm going to have to at this. I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to at this bitch. <laughs> That's shorthand for I'm going to talk at you and you going to hear me. That's when people feel like they're being belittled. Oh, you're talking down to me, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we've all been in those spaces where we just feel like we're talking down to, like someone is speaking to us like we're stupid. And I, the, way, the way that I do challenge that is I tell the person, hey, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm receiving it and I'm understanding you. So don't feel frustrated because a lot of times that's a device that comes out of someone feeling frustrated about not being heard, right? That's when they start talking at because they feel like you, you don't get this. You can't even understand this, et cetera, et cetera. And so I like to let people know like, oh, whoa, whoa. I do hear you, I understand you, and I'm listening. Talking to is being able to try and have that exchange without 
someone having to say, whoa, 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 I hear you. Uh, but the thing about talking to is that it takes two to tango to talk to. You can't expect somebody to be an active talker without you being an active listener. And I think we've come into this space where a lot of us have very high expectations for how we're spoken to and very low expectations for how we listen. Oh, you Let me take a sip of my tea. That was a good one, Rebecca. This is a conversation about communication. I think a lot of people came into this conversation thinking it was all going to be about talking. The, a lot of the issue with communication is people not listening. And a lot of the issue with people not listening is people not knowing how to listen. That's where critical thinking comes in. There's just simply a lot of folks who are not learning how to properly process what they're receiving into their motherboard. You know, we got folks that are operating on a Windows 98 system. And we got to, we got to, we got to, we got to step up our iOS, y'all. We got to step up our iOS. I am a complete product of this because so much of what I say on the Instagrams has gotten so misconstrued simply by folks just not knowing how to listen. And then I have to have a certain level of grace for them because I'm just like, damn, like you maybe really didn't get a chance to properly learn how to listen. I know that I learned how to listen because of certain spaces I was in. As an actor, that's literally all you're taught. As an actor, it's not about the lines you're saying. It's about the lines someone else is saying. That's what drives your line. As an interviewer, it's not about the questions that you have. It's about the questions you derive from the conversation you're having with the person. That's the best interviews. You know, when you come to an interview, you should always be prepared with questions, but you should mostly be prepared to get more questions because your questions that you're coming with are nine times out of 10, baseline like 50% uh, the same questions that someone else has said. As someone who has been an interviewee and an interviewer, the best is when someone comes up with some new shit that you've never gotten a chance to talk about because they were listening to your response and derived a new query from it. But you can't do that if you're not really listening, if you're not actively listening and critically hearing what you're listening to. So we're going to talk more about that. But that is really the big difference between talking to and talking at. You're talking to someone, you're saying, I'm speaking to you because I want you to listen and I'm speaking to you in a way that means that I feel like you're listening and I'm speaking to you as an us. Talking at means I'm speaking to you as an other. If you want people to share your relative space, you got to figure out how to speak to them as an us. And I will not lie to you, it's not always easy. Especially when they're fucking idiots. Especially when they're assholes. Especially when they just seem like they don't like you. It, it, it requires a certain level of, of almost piousness um, to, to do it because it requires you to legit see them in ways that they don't see themselves. And that, don't get me wrong, that doesn't necessarily mean continue a conversation that's not going nowhere. But that can simply mean I'm going to talk to you as opposed to talk at you and say to you, I don't feel comfortable having this conversation. Or I am not interested in having this conversation, but I hope you have a good day. Genuinely. Be blocked and blessed. So before we get into these DMT questions, me and Brendan were here just chatting and it's like there's there really is a different world we're living in with communication right now with social media because 
you are inundated by nature of what social media is with so many more interactions that it can be incredibly overwhelming to just have to like deal with all of that, even on a basic level. And so when I sit here and I talk about things like, you know, talking to and talking at and giving people grace and, you know, attempting to consider like, okay, this is somebody who's in a different space and a different perspective and all of that. And and I said, you know, that it's like, damn, yeah, that's, that's a, a lot, lot to expect us to think about, Amanda. It, of course it would seem a lot to think about that with all of the interaction you're having when these days the interactions we're having number so greatly. Like trying to do that math with strangers on Instagram, with people that are texting you versus ver verbally talking to you. So now you have to like consider their tone. You're like doing, so, you're just doing so much imagination work that has nothing to do with like you. It's just, it's just like making assumptions based on trends. And I know it sounds like I'm being convoluted, but I'm telling y'all, like, this is what your brain is doing. It's doing all of this math. Your brain is a computer. So it's basically, you know, downloading data. And then that data is how you move in the world. That's why, like, if you've been abused, you know, it's so much harder to get out of the things that that come from that conditioning because your brain has literally downloaded that and it is now filtered through the rest of how you move. You have to like rewire your motherboard. You have to go in there and open that shit up and get in it. And that shit is very frustrating and can be very time consuming and very emotionally draining because you're not going to get all the rewiring done right the first time. So... When it comes to this communication thing, it's just to me, uh, when people were like, you know, how are you going to get off Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, I'm like, you better be, you better hope that I back away from Instagram because the only way I feel like any of us are going to start like really being better about how we do this, how we handle communication, how we get back to actually talking to each other. It's not about these fucking social media breaks, first, first and foremost, foremost, by the way. Like, yeah, people get off heroin and then they relapse and they back on heroin. So what did you really do? You just like, you took a break, you know, you went and hung out with the kids that you abandoned and you know, your dog got to know you again and love you all over again. And then you bounced back into the heron and, and we're just back into the same fuckery. So to me, it's not about these social media breaks. Everything to me is about figuring out how to manage and moderate. And social media can be so it, seemingly banal that you don't really feel like you have to do that. But you really, really do. Because it's boundaries. It's boundaries that you have to create in order to legit manage how much work that computer brain I talked about is doing to simply just communicate in a healthy, productive way. And when you are trying to do that all day in spaces where the rules, like, don't even exist in the fucking wild, wild west? I mean, who wants to try and communicate in Westworld all day? You don't even know where the story's going. Side note, where did the fucking story go season two? What, I mean, I just was like, is this where we are? I don't even know where we are. Are we in India now? How we get to India? Are we back in, in the west? What is this? Is that an elephant? I can't even. <sighs> I know I shouldn't say it because it's a fellow HBO show, but listen, part of 
part of communicating is communicating truths and being able to do that to the ones you love. <laughs> so before we got into the DMTs, I just wanted to vocalize that like, as far as it goes with social media and the ways in which social media has affected our communication, they number in, in the many, but I think that we individually have to consider our relationship to social media and how we may have to shift that from where we started to now, how we have to consider it as a part of our life. The same way that texting, you know, there's people who say like, I'm just not good at texting. That's not an option anymore. Um, it, it, it really isn't. Like either say I don't text um, or, you know, let's stick to phone calls. I've had people literally say to me, like, I'm just not good at responding to texts who want my attention, right? Like, I will say that for me, um, I'm pretty good at responding to texts, but sometimes, like, if I'm running around and I'm busy, it may take me a little longer. But I don't think that's okay. <laughs> it's just the reality of the situation. And I try my best to let people know, like, my bad for the delayed response. Um, which also is something I want to say before we get into these DMTs is that one of the things that I've learned that is really helpful for me in terms of communicating is really just trying to take care of people before I take care of myself in the conversation. Now, the way I'll say that, because that may be vague, but it's something that I really appreciate when people do to me. So, like, if I'm talking to a guy and we have, like, a delayed communication, um, don't come back into the conversation as if nothing happened. There's, you have to acknowledge the space. And so simply just coming back to the conversation and simply just saying something as basic as, like, hey, sorry for my delayed re response is taking care of someone before you take care of what you want to say. And that makes that person feel seen and now the conversation is a talking to versus a talking at. When you take care of people before you take care of themselves in like especially romantic personal relationships, it's just like you save a lot of bullshit happening. You really do. You just save a lot of feelings of like, oh, I feel ignored or oh, I feel dismissed, etc. All of that comes without anybody saying anything. You know, it's just like if you just simply just say something, people really can throw out the stuff that they put into the spaces that someone is not in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, whenever there's, like, a space that gets created, you start filling it with your own experience. You start filling it with your own assumptions. You start filling it with your own, you know, perspectives, etc. And that's why I always say, like, it's just it's just, it can be better to just be clear and have someone come in and verbalize, like, this is what happened in that space. And so now it just removes all of your shit that you filled the void with because someone has just simply stated what was going on. You're like, oh, okay, got it. And I know that's like, okay, but Amanda, sometimes people are lying. Yes. Sometimes people are lying. But at the end of the day, like, you can't really do shit about that either. But I've just had so many times where there are people that simply just seem like they're existing in their own bubble. And they don't consider that, like, if we are trying to make a bubble, you got to think about my bubble, too. That's all. Let's get into this. First question. When is the right time to bring up something that's bothering you? When is the wrong time? I think that's the easy one. The wrong time is when you are still emotionally attached to the issue. The right time is when you've come to a rational, logical examination of the issue. Now, I mean, 
that doesn't always happen. Um, but and I don't think right and wrong are even the right words. More like the best, like the healthiest time, you know, where you probably will get like the better outcome. Um, also, don't be hungry or tired. <laughs> That's probably not the best time either. Crankiness never really is a good role player in any type of communication. Um, so I think that there's just the the fact of that. Like, you have to really... It's so hard, but, like, learning how to step back when something is thrown at you is the hardest thing to do. Because you naturally want to punch back. But if you can create just even a pause... <laughs> It allows you a moment to better re better determine how to uh, respond. And you might, in that pause, realize that punching back is not the best choice. Um, maybe the better choice is to actually take another step back. Maybe the next maybe the best choice is to duck. Maybe the best choice is to do a kidney hit. Um, go for the gusto. But the truth of the matter, is that when it really boils down to it, um, you know, the I always feel like the best time to address anything that's bothering you, because that's the specific word she used, right? Bothering you, is when it's not in the midst of the bother. Like, if it's still bothering you, but you've got some perspective on it, you need time to have perspective. That's why I can't stand these fucking thoughtless pieces. They're not think pieces. They're thoughtless pieces. Because people keep writing think pieces these days within two seconds of whatever the thing that happened happened. So they don't even have a second to get perspective. You didn't even have time to walk away and look back on it or look at it from another angle. You haven't even had enough time to do that. You haven't. And you need that when you, something's bothering you because the best thing that happens is you might step aside and be like, you know what? That's not even really bothering me like that. This is what's actually bothering me. This thing over here. And it's not even worth me communicating this thing over here to this person because this thing over here isn't even about this person. And then you have an epiphany and you're proud of yourself. And then you can deal with that individually. But a lot of times, we just don't take the time to do that. And so we end up creating new problems out of our old problems. So I think that's really the, like, the real answer to your question. I'm not saying none of this is easy. None of this. None of this is easy, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be attempted. And that doesn't mean the effort shouldn't be made towards it. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be holding each other accountable and trying to teach and encourage and, you know, um, empower each other to, to operate in these ways. But it really isn't um, it really isn't an easy feat. And I commend everybody who has made it their business to say, hey, you know, I'm going to try and be a better communicator and also a better listener by such and such and such and such. Next question. How do you provide a safe, healthy, positive space for healthy communication in a relationship? Well, I think when we say relationship, we're referring to romantic relationship. But I think the, the bottom line applies to all. I think that trust 
is the bottom line to a safe space for communication. And trust is literally built with consistency. Trust is built with um, assurances. And people need reactions. There's like a three-word... I remember, like, uh, my roommate took a sociology course, and there was, like, every human being needs the three R's, and I can't remember what they were, but it was something to the effect of, like, reaction, reassurance, reciprocation. And maybe those weren't what they are, but those are three R's that people do need. Um, <laughs> those are the Amanda three R's of sociology. Because reaction is, is simply, when I say that people need reaction... It's simply just people want to feel like they were heard. So a reaction makes someone feel like, okay, what I said landed. It doesn't mean the reaction has to be negative. It just means it has to be felt. The, 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 the action was felt. Now there's a reaction. Then reassurance. People need reassurance, yo. People need, need to feel... We live an uncertain existence. So reassurance makes people feel grounded. And reassurance is something as basic as like, I hear you. Or I love you. Or I feel you. You know, when you when you with people that like don't want to say I love you back, that's that's just ooh. If you don't love me back, fine. fine. But if you're like, you know I love you, I shouldn't have to say it back. Get, get the, the fuck, fuck out of here, yo. That's just that leads us to reciprocation. You know, and the reality that like you wanna feel like you're getting what you're giving. You don't want to be depleted. You don't want to feel like you're, you know, just delivering shit into the fucking void and the black hole is eating up the goodness that you're throwing out there. And it's just like, hang, 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 hang. it's fucking cookie monster. Like, ooh, I, I, want, want, I want your cookies. I want your cookies. And you're like, not my cookies, my cookies, my cookies. And then here you are in your Sierra and cookie monster out here <laughs> battling over good energy being depleted. So... You know, there also has to be, like, a place that's, like, kind of judgment-free. Which is always, you know, a doozy for me, right? Because I think that, like, people want these, like, judgment-free zones. And they confuse that with accountability-free zones. You know, I can, I can hold you accountable without judging you. You know, I can, I can say to you. And then, but then again, it's like, that's what sentencing is by a judge, right? A judge is basically like, okay, okay this, this is, is what, what you, you have, have to do to, do to be, be held accountable for what you did. did. And I guess, you know, being judgment-free is basically just saying, like, listen, I'm not saying whether you're a good person or a bad person. However, However you did operate in this way, and I need you to take responsibility for that and present restorative justice practices to move past that. But I think a safe space really just ends up being one that is an example of equity. And equality. That's to me what a safe space is. When two people feel like they are not about a power struggle or about dominance. And I think that, you know, with parents and children, that can be difficult to establish because, like, you do have dominance. But that doesn't mean that you can't see somebody for who they are even when they're 12 or 13 and simply just give space for that. And that's what like equity is. My space is just as valuable as your space to talk, to live, to grow. And I think with a parent and a child, you're able to say like, listen, 
your space is valuable and my space is valuable. It's just that in my space, I just know more. <laughs> I just been here longer. So like, it's not to say that your space doesn't matter. It's just that my space just has more information. And we have that in interpersonal conversations on a regular basis where it's like, I should be able to say to somebody, like, I hear what you're saying and I respect what you're saying, but I also just know more about this. And so I need you to also acknowledge that what I'm saying does have value. And so often we feel like that is an attack and it's just not, it's just what it is. Same with accountability. It's like, I hear what you're saying, but you also did do this. And that doesn't mean that's an attack. It's just a fact. And it's not like I have to, I mean, and it's so hard to do this sometimes because of ego and ego has gotten so just, just out of whack with, I like to blame it on social media, but I think it's also part of it is because like we have a leader who is an egotistical narcissist and is constantly demonstrating that like, yeah, you can be a full on fucking prick and still become the leader of the free world. So it's hard to like say that that's not a thing. We have the Kardashians. I mean, their whole entire like dynasty is built on nothing. Nothing but just oversaturation of image, which is egotistical. It they they don't enter anything into the canon. They are a part of pop culture, but not for any means other than being disruptive of pop culture. <laughs> like, so you know, um, your question about how do you create a safe space in relationships? I hope I answered it. Um, but I think it's also a growing conversation. It's a continual conversation. And I think it's also a nuanced conversation because you know you better than anybody else and that person knows themselves and you have to figure out like what works for both of you. And for some people, they need a certain level of space before they communicate in terms of time. Uh, some people, I know for me, like if some shit goes down, I don't need space because I'm angry that's not like you kind of for me I want to talk about it right then and there and not because I want to talk about it because it's bothering me but because I don't want to let it fester some people are like no I actually need to walk away and go think about this extensively before I come back. And we talked about in the last question, like, when should you talk about something? And I have learned that, like, if someone pissed me off, I would rather them address it first. I shouldn't talk about it immediately. But if I would love for them to talk about it immediately. I'll calm down very quickly. It's never a good thing, though, for me to be the one to be like, this is happening right now. <laughs> But you know that you do shit sometimes where you like, I've been a dick or you, you know, you were, you misspoke or something and like, you just kind of let it rock and then you let it rock and then you let it rock. And next thing you know, it has ballooned into something way bigger than you foresaw. And maybe if you had just addressed it instead of avoided it. And I think that's another conversation, just the sweet spot of when um, when space becomes avoidance. 
you know, and when, and when communication becomes confrontation. So many people think that just simply addressing something is a confrontation. It's like, it's just communicating. And we take the element of confrontation out when we allow ourselves to say, okay, maybe this person is simply speaking to me versus attacking me. Next question. Is there a thing as being too honest? I think there's a time for honesty and a delivery. And ta- and that's what tact is. You know, tact is about the timing of honesty. Sometimes it's just better left unsaid. Sometimes it's better delayed. Um, it's just not necessary because it's not adding to the solution at the time. Sometimes it's just like what you're saying is you being honest is you being a prick. Like if someone's makeup is like not blended on their face and you're like, hey, you know, touch that, like blend that in. That's not you being too honest. That's you hopefully trying to help somebody like, you know, not be out here with a Phantom of the Opera mask made out of Fenty concealer shade 45 or whatever. Now, if that person with that concealer blend is on stage and you yell out, blend your makeup, you look like the Phantom of the Opera because it's not blended. That is tactless. You were, it's true, and you're being honest, but the timing and the placement are no bueno. No bueno. And you're thinking maybe like you're helping them out? No. Because now, even if nobody noticed it, now they notice it. I had a boyfriend tell me two seconds before on stage, I went on stage, he was like, are you going to wear your hair like that? Even if you honestly didn't like my bun, my hair is still together. I don't look crazy, you know? But it was just tactless because we could talk later about how you honestly don't like a bun as a hairstyle. Like, that's just not something you find sexy. We can have that conversation. I don't care. But, you know, whatever. But, oh, I just had a flashback. Sorry. I just had a flashback because I was about to go on stage and this motherfucker definitely was like, are you going to wear your hair like that? Yeah. Because I'm about to go on the... The mic is in my hand. I was wearing a striped tube top. I love that tube top. I thought it was the cat's meow. I used to wear this black and white sequined express tube top with with uh, capris. Yeah, with bl- blue jean capris. Rebecca is looking at me in shock and horror. No, Rebecca, I was not always this fashionista that you've come to know, okay? I was not always just presenting you with styles upon styles upon styles. At one point, I was in a struggle, okay? I was wearing a lot of Kangol's, and I was wearing studded belts off the hip and really thinking I was killing the game. I mean, I got a drawer of belts. What belt am I going to wear today (laughs) out in these streets? 
Jesus. And then I had every color Chuck Taylor known to man. Just all of them. These are the times we all wish for. This is a great question, and this brings us back to the beginning. How can you possibly communicate with people when their reading comprehension skills are severely lacking? To be very, very honest, it's, it's, it's damn near impossible. It really is. Because, you know, a reading comprehension, you're looking at words that are static on a page. And so you're given an opportunity to manipulate that and you have like a certain amount of time because you are the one that is taking the words off the page and, and, and putting them into your brain. So if you can't comprehend that, how are you going to comprehend when words are flying at you, rapid fire from somebody, and you don't even have the ability to go back to what they just said verbatim and put it, you know, you, you don't have that same uh, resource. That is incredibly difficult to, to, to think that somebody, you know, who can't do the, the former could do the latter. And we are at a time where, you know, comprehension and critical thinking are just not respected or even taught to most people outside of college. You know, I think that for me, I want to say that I didn't really start like learning like critical thinking until I got to college, maybe like junior year of high school when I started working on research papers, you know, and because a research paper is essentially like training your mind to think critically about a topic, coming up with a thesis, stating that thesis, and then proving it through other sources. That's a research paper. It's critical thinking because it's forcing you to look at a concept from a number of different perspectives. Being critical is breaking it down and looking at it in small doses. Oh, which is what we do every episode on this show. This is essentially a critical thinking podcast more than it's a self-help podcast because it really is designed to just look at different concepts conceptually in multiple ways. And that's why it's nice when we have a guest. But I really hope that when you're listening that you see me trying to not just speak from one trajectory and one point of view but trying to look at it from other sides of the coin and from other vantage points well a lot of people can't get past their own vantage point to even consider what critical thinking would require and it requires you going outside of just you it requires you going beyond the obvious it requires effort that's what I'm saying requires fucking effort and you know we live in a lazy we live in a mentally lazy space right now just mentally lazy lackadaisical some of it can be blamed on the information age and just not having to actually source things out some of it could just be meant to play some of it can just be blamed on the sign of the times some of it can be blamed on PTSD of just having to deal with so much trauma in your personal lives and in our public lives of what we are experiencing on a regular basis. So your brain is just kind of inundated. And I know sometimes my critical thinking, 
gets challenged with the rage I have that lives very close to the surface. And, you know, it can cloud my ability to critical think and I have to do real work to say, like, no, don't let it invade. Let them thoughts be clear and sharp and unencumbered. Ooh, that was a good one. Unencumbered, not uncucumbered. <laughs> not uncucumbered, Rebecca. Unencumbered. People I like. Yeah. Now, I never met this person, but I've watched her interact with individuals and. It always um, intrigued me and it continues to inspire me. But watching Maya Angelou speak to people uh, has always been something of art to, to witness when you see it. And I never got to see it in person, like I said. But even in interviews or in... Um, I, well, I've never like personally spoken to her, but I've seen her speak. But just watching her in in interviews or in behind the scenes interactions with individuals, she has a pacing. The way she speaks, she speaks in a pace that essentially controls the conversation. By the way, um, but what it does is it allows for her to be understood and for her to be given the chance to understand. You know, Maya talked like this and I don't know if that was like something that she developed but as an elder I would see her speak and she always spoke in a in a pace that allowed for people to digest what she's saying or that better allowed right that better allowed I think people to digest what she's saying and that also somehow is like soothing in a way that like maybe doesn't necessarily trigger just natural responses like I know I have a voice that triggers certain people because it has bass to it and because I have very clear enunciation enunciation as how the fuck did I mispronunciate enunciation as I was saying I had great enunciation anywho but because of the way that I speak, I speak sharply and shortly, even if I am just saying something kind, the, the tonality and the cadence of my delivery feels differently than necessarily the contents of the delivery. So I am sometimes working against that, just simply working against like these, um, what do I want to say, almost like physiological elements of my speech that have nothing to do with the actual I'm making a hand motion that I feel like you all can see with the actual um biology of it like it's the part that matters it's like the matter that matters but instead it's like the casing you know it's like you want the diamond but you're looking at the rock and what I'm saying is the diamond but sometimes it's just being presented in the rough and sometimes it's like people don't know how to get to the, the diamond. And so I'm having to fight through the rough. And it's frustrating, man. It really is. Because I, I, I hate being misunderstood and misconstrued, especially in a negative way. Because a lot of times I'm not even trying to say it in a negative way. I'm just frustrated or I'm just trying to get past it. Sometimes I'm just trying to get past it to get to the next part. 
and it sounds like dismissal. And it's just like, no, because I already understand what you're saying. So like, we don't even got to talk about that because I get it. But to that other person, it's just like, no, but you're not pacing. You're pa- the way you're saying that doesn't feel like you already understand that. Now, if I said it like this, oh, you know what? I understand what you're saying. So we can actually talk about this next part if you're cool with that. If I say that like this, I already understand what you're saying. So we can talk about the next part if you're cool with that. It's the same words, but it would be received differently because of the packaging. That's what tone is, you know? And so sometimes you can do that and it sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. But tone policing is when you make it matter when it don't. That's what tone policing is. When you are more interested in my tone when it should be completely a fucking relevant to what we're talking about. It fucking relevant. <laughs> But Maya has always been an inspiration to me in that there's an incredible clip of her on a talk show where a young woman addresses her as Maya and she checks her with such aplomb and basically says, like, you don't deserve to call me Maya. I have earned the right to be addressed as Ms. Angelou. And you simply are not of a space uh, where you can call me Maya. But she says it in a way where you're not even offended. It's just what it is. Now, Dick Gregory, as incredible as a a writer, as a comedian, as a philanthropist, as an activist as he was, he and I have a very same tonality temperament where, you know, we just want you to know. We're just like, get it out. Listen. And sometimes that gets in the way of people hearing. And um, I mean, I, mean, I, I met, met Dick Gregory, Gregory and I definitely, definitely, we had a little beef. Me and Dick Gregory had a little beef because he talked to me in a tone that was so wild and crazy uh, that I had to leave the room because I wasn't going to sit here and fight with Dick Gregory because <laughs> that sounds crazy. Um, but I say all of that to say that Maya Angelou is is an inspiration to me in, in my communication quest and in my continuing to diversify my ability to communicate with different people in different spaces and get results that are about solution and elevation. That, that one time? time. <laughs> you know when I have a meeting, I have to go... A lot of times after I've had like a lot of meetings, I just come home and shut the fuck up. I just shut up. I watch a movie. I go to the movies because I just want to get out of my head and into a space where I don't have to be thinking about how to interact. And I know that when we say that when we go to certain jobs, we just want to be ourselves. You know what that really means, I think? We just want to be able to like communicate with these people without having to like do the math. And when we know people, we don't have to do as much math. Right? Well, you know your fr- your friends have a shorthand. That's what that means. Like you have a shorthand. Like you know that when I say this, I don't really mean this. You know when I say it like this, I don't really mean it like this. You know, and it's just like that's just the familiarity. So we'd be going to work wanting to establish that familiarity. And it's like, yeah, but the rules aren't the same here. Because the stakes are higher here, or they're different here, I should say. And so, you know, you got to communicate differently because you're in a different framework. And that's tiring as shit. So then you got to, for me, go home and let your brain just relax, yo. 
calm down and just like you got to come home and like close your laptop let your shit just cool let the motor just cool and um i'm at a time where communication is more important than ever for me because I am communicating with more people than I ever have. And my interpersonal spaces are elevating in terms of the types of people that I'm speaking to and the outcomes that I would like to come out of them. And I don't just mean that in a professional space. I mean that even in just like interviews. I mean that even in speaking to fans and supporters, like, I know that they want me to say something of value. They want to be heard and I want them to be heard. So I want to be able to have the bandwidth when I put myself in those spaces to interact. That's why when I'm in public spaces, y'all, that's why I don't do pictures and have casual conversations when I meet folks on the street because I want to be able to be mentally in the space to give you the response that, and the the reciprocation and the reaction that you deserve. And I may not have that at that moment. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I have that. And it's like, I don't want you to, I don't want to be misrepresented. And I also don't want you to, to be disappointed. So that's why I try and keep it real basic when I see folks in the streets. And when I do uh, meet and greets um, or panels, et cetera, I come ready to do that. I come ready and charged up to have those interactions because they do require thought and they do require effort. And I have not mastered being able to just be ready at all times. And I don't know if I'll ever master that. There are certain people that seem to have just nailed, they can just do that. I don't got it. I just don't. And I know that about myself, but I also know that I want to be of value when I open my mouth. And that's when I'm speaking. That's when I'm sucking dick. That's when I'm singing. I wanted to see if I could say all that with a straight face. And I did do it. But Rebecca cracked. Just for the record. I want to be a value when I open my mouth, Rebecca. Okay? So, I'm at a time where I'm having to, like, really just be conscious of that in a very different way than I've ever had to be. And... um. I, I, my astrologist had said something to me and she said, you know, I, I think it's, it's time for you to, to work on becoming like the friendly neighborhood philosopher, which that sounds cool. I like to think that small doses has a certain level of that in it. And then the next day I saw on one of the IGs that I follow, someone had posted this book, the courage to be disliked. And it's a Japanese book, and it's apparently like a sensation. And it's the book takes place as a conversation between a philosopher, a neighborhood philosopher, and a young person asking this neighborhood philosopher about their philosophies and challenging on them. You can't tell me that that is a coincidence. Because there ain't no such thing as coincidences, Rebecca. She going to tell me I need to become the friendly neighborhood philosopher. And the day after I look at the notes from her astrological reading, I then am put onto a book about a friendly neighborhood philosopher. I mean, 
that just let me know that on my communication path, that's where I got to go. That's where I got to go. The last dose. So I'm in a process as well, y'all. I'm in a process. And um, I think that what I wanted to do with this episode was to encourage more than anything, was to encourage the effort to be made to also give folks grace in communication. And I think that's also like the hardest part. And that's because we really don't do that with people. We just be like, you didn't hear what I said? I'm talking about myself. I hate repeating myself with a passion because I hate not being heard. And I just feel like when I got to repeat myself, it's because somebody ain't listening. Sometimes people just didn't hear you. Or they were busy processing what you had said before. And so, you know, there's a certain level of grace that you got to kind of like offer folks to just get to where you are. And it can be very frustrating, especially if you're somebody with a high processing brain. Very frustrating. But as communicators, the best we can do is be clear. That's the best we can do, is do our best to be clear. Sometimes we're not as clear as we could be, and then we're told about it, and then we get frustrated. Because we're like, no, No, I I I was clear. clear. And it's like, well, maybe you weren't. But then sometimes you're telling somebody that they weren't clear when really you just weren't listening. So, you know, just say, listen, I wasn't listening. I am so quick to tell somebody, hey, I'm going to stop you right there. I ain't hear shit you just said. Because you said this, which made me think of this, which made me think of that. You know? You said purple, which made me think of the turban that Professor Quirrell is wearing in the first Harry Potter movie, Sorcerer's Stone. Then I started thinking about how bad the new Harry Potter movies are. Then I started thinking about how great J.R.R. Tolkien is. And then I started thinking about, I wonder what that movie is going to be like about J.R.R. Tolkien. And then I started thinking about how movies really ain't as good as they used to be. And then I started thinking about, so like, I've already, I've, I've done so many thoughts and you was talking. So I apologize. I'm back now, though. I'm back. <laughs> what did you say? Stop it. A podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.